We've had several friends, and I'm sure that you have, that have gotten themselves into financial debt, and it wasn't long before their financial problems began to dictate everything that they said and that they did. And uh, it began to control their lives, and I'm sure that many, if not all of us, have had struggles in our financial areas um, and can relate to that particular story. Uh, but it's rare that I have found, it's rare to find a couple that has never had a disagreement over finances. I think that it's something that every one of us can relate to from time to time. Because uh, a lot of us live our financial lives uh, kind of like, you know, uh, a tail wagging the dog. You know, everything's backwards. And we need to get a better handle on it. We need to get better control of it. Otherwise, we're going to continue to live and have uh, conflicts that arise because of it. So in this session, what I'd like to do is share the following insights that will, I think, be helpful not only to those who are married, but also to those who are single. And for all of us, regardless of our age, their principles are fundamentals that apply to every one of us. Um, you know, it's, it's New Year's Eve, and uh, as a result, you see all these different surveys that come out and the different um, opinions of, as far as, you know, what's going to be your New Year's resolution. And what was fascinating to me was almost... Across the board, the top two New Year's resolutions are, it's number one, what's the, the, the number one New Year's resolution every year forever? Go on, a diet. Go on a diet, lose weight, get in better shape, you know, get in better, get in better physical condition. And almost without exception, now I don't know if it's because it's the time of year when they're asking these surveys, but it's like, you know, you're asking people while they're just stuffing their face over the course of, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, the whole month of December. What are you going to do? I swear I'm going I'm to cut out all this stuff and I'm going to get in shape and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to start working out and I'm going to start walking and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then the second resolution is finances. Is finances is, you know what, this year, not only am I going to get in better physical condition, but I'm going to get in better fiscal condition. That's just the way that it always is. And so what we're going to have to, what we're going to struggle with here, and some of us will, uh, is this particular year, you know, do something that will be a benefit to you, and don't let money control your life. If you want to make a a New Year's resolution uh, that will change your life, don't let money control your life. Because if you do, it destroys the quality of your life. So that would be a great resolution, and we'll look at it. Now, some of you are thinking, you know what, though? But I've tried every diet, and I've tried every exercise program, and I've been to every gym that has that special where you can like, get in for free this time of year, and I've done all those things, and look at me. You know, it just isn't working. Now, I thought that the attitude angel visited your house. The angel of death is going to visit your house if you keep it up. But um, that's the only reason I have notes. I wouldn't even need them if you didn't keep yelling out like that. It isn't working, is it? Oh, well. Okay, back to, back to where we were. Don't let money control your life. Don't let distractions control your life. <laughs> the bottom line is this. Anybody that's ever been on a diet, anybody that's ever been on an exercise program, knows the key to success is what? Discipline. Discipline. It really is. 
The key to success in a diet program or exercise program is discipline. It's called consistently applying truth to that particular situation, regardless of what it is. And the key to controlling or getting control over our finances is the same thing. It's going to require discipline, and it's going to require continually applying the principles or the truth, the truths that work. And so what I want to do is, you know, it's really, it's, it's interesting because there's a great parallel between, you know, getting in shape physically and getting in shape physic, uh, fiscally, and that is that, you know, there's some fundamentals that you have to apply. And the fundamentals that we need to apply when it comes to getting in shape fiscally are ones that if you consistently apply them, I guarantee you that these truths will change your life. It's a guarantee. And I know that there are very few guarantees in life, but I'll guarantee you that what I'll share with you will change your life. And so what we're going to take a look at are seven financial fundamentals. We'll take a look at a few of them, because if we only apply just a few in the weeks to come, it'll make a huge difference. But we're going to take a look at some of these fundamentals. Okay, first one. And it's one that um, it, it has to start here, and it has to be the first one, because everything else falls in place after this. Fundamental number one, honor the Lord first. If you want to get a control over your finances, you must honor the Lord first. And what that means simply is this. Every check that you write, the first check that you write, goes to the Lord. Right off the top, the very first one, that you sit down and the first bill that you pay is that particular check that honors the Lord first. Now I know some of us have a problem with this, and I want to explain it to you, I hope in a way that will make some sense to you, because, you know, what we need to do is honor the Lord first. And that means if you're involved in the local church, hey, write that first check to the church. You know, because they're accountable, they'll, they'll, they'll take care of the finances as far as where that money goes, what needs are being met, things of that nature. It's structured, it's, it's managed, it's organized. And that, if you're involved in church, that's where I would recommend that you, that you write that first check. And the reason for that is simply this. You know, in our last session, if you recall, one of the biggest problems that people have as far as finances are concerned is that attitude of ownership. Like if you have one of the, one of the, you know, one of the mates that works, you've got the guy who works and the gal who doesn't or vice versa or whatever, the person that's bringing home the bacon has an attitude that, you know, it's my money and I'll do with it as I please. And there's nothing that will divide a marriage quicker than, well, that's my money and that's your money, or that's his money and that's her money, and there's that separation, and it all comes back to attitude. It's this, I, I got this feeling that it's mine and I can do whatever it is with I want. Well, you know what's interesting is, and we talked about it, Psalm 24.1 says this, hey, you know what, the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, and even those who dwell in it, God owns everything. And what this particular principle will help remind us is that very truth that God owns it all. My ability to work is because God has given me the ability to work and to earn income. The intelligence that he's given me is an ability that God has given me. The physical skills that I have are physical skills that God has given me. The only way that I can go out and even make a living for my family is because God has given me the ability to do it. Now, what this principle helps me to do is to sit down and realize, you know what, Lord? Thank you for the ability to meet our physical needs. Thank you for the job that I have. And it changes our whole attitude about complaining about the work that we have to do, complaining about the job that we have, complaining about this, that, and the other thing. What it does is it changes our whole attitude from the very beginning. When we honor the Lord first, the dynamics is incredible. 
And we need to recognize that. It's a, it, writing that first check is a continual reminder of the truth that God owns everything and it keeps us heading in the right direction. Now, you say, well, why does it have to be first? Well, turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3 gives us some insight as to, well, why would we do it first? We have Proverbs 3, uh, starting with verse 9. We're told, it, you honor the Lord from your wealth, and from what? And from the first of all that you produce. Honor the Lord from your wealth, and the first of all you produce. And then there's a promise. He says, so your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. He's saying, hey, listen, Chuck, you know what? Don't wait till the end of the month to decide how much money you're going to give to the Lord. He says, you honor him right off the top. And the reason for it's simple. Here's what I found in our life. There's rarely anything ever left over. Isn't that the truth? I mean, stop and think about this. The majority of nonprofit organizations raise 60 to 70% of their annual revenue during the months of November and December. Why? I know why and you know why. Because everybody's waiting to the end of the year to see if they got anything left over. And then if there's anything left over, oh, okay, now it's not going to be any sacrifice to me and there's not going to be any pain because we have a little bit of money left over. Now we'll go ahead and we'll be generous. The problem with that is that all year long we put God in the background of our life and we forget that he's the one that enables us to make revenue anyway or to give us the resources that we have. So we stick him in the corner and we say, okay, November, December, oh God, you know what? Thank you, it was, it was a half decent year. I got a couple bucks left over. Oh, now I'll go ahead and we'll go ahead and give. See, there's a problem with that mentality. And the mentality is, you know what, God, I got other things I want to do before I honor you. What we need to recognize is that God's promise is simple. He says, when you honor me from the first of all you produce, then your vats will overflow, your barns will be filled with plenty, and then I will bless you. Now, some of you are thinking, man, but I'm not making it now. We're not making it now. Things are so tough. Things aren't, you know, I don't understand. How can we start to do this? Look at Malachi chapter 3. Ahead a few books, Malachi chapter 3. God promises the nation of Israel, and he says this in verse 7. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes, you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, well, how shall we return? He says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, well, how have we robbed you, Lord? He says, in tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with the curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. He's saying, you know what, come back to me. And they say, well, wait a minute, how do we come back to you, and what have we done wrong? And God says, you know what you've done wrong? You're robbing me. You go, but how? Because you're not giving. You're not honoring me first from all that you produce. You're not recognizing my blessings that I've bestowed upon you. Man, you've got everything backwards, and you know what's happening in your life? You know, the tail's wagging the dog again, and you don't understand what's going on, and you don't understand what your problems are. But I'm telling you, the problems start when you do not honor the Lord first 
in all that he has given us. Man, that's quite a truth. Perhaps the windows of heaven haven't been opened to your marriage because you have not stepped out in faith to honor the Lord first and recognize what he's done in your life. See, by honoring God first, everything else begins to fall into place. It becomes our compass or standard or a beacon of light and keeps us going in the right direction when it comes to every other area of our finances. It keeps us on track. It keeps us on, tar on target. And you know what? One, one of the things that, that I always struggle with, and, and I want to make sure it's very clear here, is that, listen to me, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. And I'm not a pastor who's standing here in a typical church. It's a building program time. And now we're going to teach everybody about the principle of giving. So I have no manipulative reasons to share this with you other than this truth. The greatest impact that was ever made on my life and my family was when I first became a Christian and somebody taught me the truth about putting the Lord first in, in the areas of finance. It made the most significant impact in my life. It changed my whole life. It changed everything that I think and everything that I do. It helped me to recognize the importance of giving and keeping God first and other people right after him, of loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. It keeps everything in focus. It was the greatest truth and, and the most impacting truth that was ever shared with me. God doesn't need your money. And some manipulative person on TV or radio or church that tries to teach you the principles of giving so that you feel guilty about giving so that they can raise money to do whatever it is that they want to do with it isn't helping you either. The reality of all of it is, is that this is a truth that will change your life and it's the best thing that can ever happen to you and that's why I want to share it with you because I know that it's impacted our life in that particular way. So there's no hidden agenda here. So you can all relax and if you're visiting, you know, take it easy. Don't even worry about it. We're not going to take up an offering afterwards. I mean, the reality of all of this is, is that this is a tremendous truth, and we need to understand that. God owns everything already, so he doesn't need our money to do anything that he needs to do. The greatest blessing comes to us when we learn to give. Though God is glorified by it, it'll change and bless us like you've never been blessed in your life. It's the greatest thing that will ever happen to you. It's the greatest thing that will ever happen to your marriage when you learn to give and honor the Lord first. You know, it's fascinating to me, you know, this principle of giving, what we need to understand is this, listen, you can't buy your way to heaven, so you can't give enough. There's only one price that was paid that's sufficient to get any person, any one of us into heaven, and that's Christ's death on the cross. So it doesn't matter how much money you give or how much you don't give, the reality of that is it doesn't change your condition with God. You're either a sinner still separated from God on your way to hell, or you're a person that's put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and because of that, in God's grace, he has recognized that Christ's death was sufficient for you. You became a child of God. You are forgiven now. You can't buy your way into heaven. You can't buy the price of forgiveness. Jesus Christ bought that price on the cross, and that's all that there is to it. So you can't do anything else with money. When I put my faith and trust in Christ, God did everything for me in the person of Jesus Christ. What giving has become is an expression of what he's done in my life. And that's all that it is. See, giving is a tangible expression of our love for other people. You know, stop and think about that. If you love your wife, you will give to her. 
you will meet her needs, whatever they are, whether they're physical needs, emotional needs, or whatever, you will give. I mean, we're coming, I mean, here we are, you know, a week after Christmas, and I would imagine that when you got together with friends and family and you exchanged gifts, the person of exchanging gifts was to demonstrate to that person, listen, I love you, and I want to be able to somehow or another express that love to you in a way that you understand and recognize it, other than just saying I love you, although if that's what you want to hear, I'll say that too, and that may even be better than giving you a physical gift because I haven't shared that with you, so I'm going to say I love you, but I also want to give you something. I want to demonstrate to you how much I care about you, whether it's to your wife or to your husband, whether it's to a girlfriend or boyfriend, whether it's to your children, whether it's to friends or family. When we love, we give, right? then why is it so hard to understand that if I love God, then I want to give back to Him as an expression of everything that He gives to me? And that's a tangible way to do it. But see, you know what's amazing is when we're talking about finances, oh man, it really hurts, doesn't it? Interesting. And I think that's why the Bible speaks so much about finances. Because all money is, money's amoral, non-moral. It doesn't make any difference one way or the other. It's a tool or a testimony or a test of our love for God and for one another. The Bible says when you love, 1 John 3, 16 and 17, behold, when one beholds another who has a need, what will they do? They're going to meet that need. Why? Because the love of God is in them. 1 Corinthians 13, talking about love, says that love does not, you know, does not seek its own. That it's a giving. God demonstrated his love what? While we're sinners, he gave Christ to die for us. You know, love is always demonstrated. And what giving does is it demonstrates the love that we say that we have. Giving also teaches us to be selfless instead of selfish. It teaches us the essence of meeting the needs of other people. And when we give to God, it continually reminds us the only reason we have what we have that we can even give to another person is because God gave it to us and it keeps that all in focus. You know, giving's a sign of a changed heart. If you look at, Zacchaeus, look at the person of Zacchaeus in Luke 19, read it, 19, 1 through 10. Read the story of how Christ came into his life and it changed his heart. And he said, if there's anybody that I've robbed or stolen from, I'm going to replace that and I'm going to give. It's a result of a regenerated heart. Some of the most selfish people I know are people that have never received the love of God that's found in Christ, and all they do is live for themselves. Some of the most selfish marriages that I come across are people who sit and say, but he's not meeting my needs. She's not meeting my needs. You don't understand. I'm the one always giving, giving, giving. And that's just the way it is. I'm sick of it. And it's time that I go out and I have my needs met. Some of the most selfish statements are made by people who don't understand the concept of meeting the other person's need first. The paradox of the Christian life is this. When you give, you will receive. And you say, but I don't have enough to give. Let me tell you something, <laughs> you can't afford not to give when you've got that mindset because that's all you got left. And I'd give what I have left because until you learn to give, you'll never receive. See, honoring the Lord first keeps all of that in perspective. I love it because it's just the truth. You know, and, and one of the things that, that has really impacted us is that we need to recognize how giving impacts the lives of other people. The reason I'm still doing what I'm doing, the reason I'm standing here and teaching, the reason my wife does what she does and our family does what we do is because we learned very early on the impact that people could make in our life when they gave to us. When they would give to us when we didn't deserve it. When they would give to us because there was nothing in it for them. When they would give to us because there was no way we could ever reciprocate. When they were just giving to us because they loved us and they wanted to demonstrate it in a practical, tangible way. It changed our lives. 
I mean, it impacted us like, you know, that you wouldn't believe. The reason that I'm here today is simply because I want to be able to make the same impact on someone else's life, whether it's just one person. If through this marriage series, one marriage is saved, one marriage is strengthened, one life is changed, then you know what? Then this is all worthwhile. And it doesn't matter how many people are here, but if it just affects and impacts one person, then it's all worthwhile. It changes your life when you begin to give and you see the impact that it makes in the lives of other people. And sometimes you'll never know it. Never know it, this side of heaven. You don't do it because they're going to tell you what, how great you are and what a wonderful impact you've made on their life. It just doesn't happen that way. It very rarely does. And in fact, for every 100 people whose lives you may impact, one person may say something to you, but that's all that it takes to keep you going sometimes. It's just the way that it is. And it changes your whole life. Freely, freely you have received, freely, freely give. We got a, uh, a knock on our door one day. This is a hilarious story when I look back on it, but I never thought anything of it at the time until I told a few other people, and they said, really? We had a phone call several years ago when we were doing the Rams Bible study. One of the guys that played on the Rams was traded to San Francisco 49ers. So we helped him move to San Francisco and spent some time with him, got to meet a couple of other guys who played for the 49ers. Well, one day we get a phone call, and it was one of the guys that we met. His name was Mike Morosky. He was a backup quarterback. He went to UC Davis, but he was a backup quarterback for the 49ers, and he called we met one time. He said, Chuck, I got a friend who's moving down to Southern California. He's taking a tennis coaching position at a local college. He doesn't know anybody there, and I told him when he gets in town to give you guys a call and that you'd see him and help him, you know, meet people, help him find a place to live and all this kind of stuff. Like 10 minutes later, the doorbell rang at the house. <laughs> 10 minutes, if that. And, and I opened the door, and there was a guy standing there. And uh, he said, man, this is unbelievable. I said, what's that? He goes, this is a great, I mean, I can't believe, I don't know how to thank you enough. I, I mean, this is unbelievable. I can't believe that you would allow someone like me to move in with you without even knowing <laughs> anything about it. And he was standing there, and he had two suitcases on the ground. And Linda was like over my shoulder, and I looked back at her, and she went, Said, yes, yeah, it's as unbelievable to us as it is to you. Come on in. And, 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 he, and he came in. And three months later, he was still in. And every day, we just kind of would look at each other, would shake our heads, Linda and I would just laugh. Because, you know, it's like, hey, Lord, you know, what you've done for us, we, we couldn't even begin to thank you. And if this is one way to do it, then fine. And this guy moved in. He's a coach. He ended up, make a long story short, ended up, he's still in this area, met a gal from this church. They got married. They're doing great. And it's an incredible story. And, and my whole family, we look back on it. But that was only one of several instances that were like that. What's that? Have they moved out yet? Yeah, they've moved out. <laughs> we said, look, you're married now. It's time you move on with your life. No. No, they were only there. he was only there three months. But, you know, it was like, okay, if that's what it takes. I mean, see, you have to be willing to be used by God and just say, whatever. And what an impact did it make on people's lives and on our family's lives and on people around us. I mean, it just is an incredible thing. I, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to get across is this. Some of us want our marriages to be better. Some of us want our, our lives to be better. We feel like there's something missing and the quality of our life isn't what it should be. That, you know, it's just missing something. And 
I don't know, but did you ever think that your problems might be rooted in the matter of honoring the Lord first? Did you ever think that maybe that's what's missing in your life? I know, and somebody said, but you know what, I love God. And I'm not even going to challenge that. But I'll ask you this. It's a very personal question, but shoot, you know, we're all friends. (laughs) Some of us are. (laughs) Um, You know, it's the end of the year, right? How much money did you give to the Lord last year? And to his work? Oh, somehow or another with you, I don't think it's confidential. (laughs) We'll hear about it somewhere along the line. But stop and think about it. I mean, it's a personal question. But was it, I mean, was it, you know, 15%, 10%, 8%, 5%, 3%, 2%, 1%? I don't know. See, and it's really not in my business because that is between you and the Lord, and that's something that you need to deal with. I'm just asking the question, and you kind of deal with it accordingly. And the percentage isn't even as important as the attitude it is and the consistency of it. See, it's, it's like working out physically. You know, how much you work out and how many miles you run and all those kind of things really aren't even as important as the fact that you do it consistently. And it becomes part of your life. And giving's no different. You say, but I love God. Well, all I can say is, how do you measure that? Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commandments. God says, if you love me, that you honor me first in all that you produce. It's as simple as that. It's a very simple thing. 1 Corinthians 16, look at verses 1 and 2. We read this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save, as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. You say, well, how much should I give? Well, God says, as you may prosper. How, has he pro- how have you prospered? How has he blessed you? Then that's how you give. It's as simple as that. How should we give as he may prosper? You know, I love the story about the three men who were trying to decide how much to give. You know, how much do you give God? 5%, 10%, what is a tithe? Is it 10%? Is it really 26%? Does it include taxes? I mean, what is, you know, what is a tithe? You get into all these debates and you wrestle with all this stuff. So there are three men that were trying to decide how much to give. And after all this debate about what a tithe is and what the percentage is and what all these things are, one guy sheepishly said, well, you know what, um, I don't know how to tell you this, but here's how I've decided to give. He goes, I just go at the end of the week when I get paid and I cash my paycheck and I go outside in our backyard and I draw a circle in the backyard, stand in the middle circle, throw up the money, and whatever comes down within the circle is what I decide to give to God. And the second guy looked at him like, oh, man, I can't believe you're doing that. He goes, I do the same thing, but I just do it in reverse. I go outside with the circle, stand in the circle, throw up the money, whatever comes down inside the circle is what I give to God. And the third guy, who happened to be Larry, he, he said, man, I can't believe that you guys would even talk about giving like that as if you have no faith in the God of the universe who's made everything that owns everything, everything is in God's hands. What little faith that you have. And they were starting to feel a little bad about it. And they looked and said, well, how have you decided to give? He goes, don't you realize that God, the awesome God of this universe, all the power that he has, what I do is I go out in the backyard, stand in the middle circle, and I throw up my money, and I just figure as powerful he is, whatever he wants, he'll keep, whatever comes back down is mine. <laughs> all righty. See, some of us are kind of like that. Hey, God, you want it? You take it. You know, and it's mine. And I'll do what I want with it. But God says, man, you know what? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. 
Do you want to get control over your finances and improve the quality of your marriage and your life? Then what I would say that you need to do is start here. Honor the Lord first. Consistently, as you receive. Now, I don't know how you get paid. Maybe you get paid once a week. Maybe you get paid once every two weeks. Maybe you get paid once a month. Maybe you're commissioned, you get paid quarterly. I don't know how you get paid. But the point is, however you get paid, honor the Lord when you receive your income. If you get paid every Friday, then every Sunday when you go to church, then you write that first check right off the top. And if you, and if you want, hey, do it right away on Friday when you go and you put your deposit in your bank account. How much should you give as you prosper? But I would start with the percentage because if you don't start with something that, that's tangible, you, you won't get anywhere. If it's 2% and that's 2% more than you gave this year, great. Start somewhere that's manageable, that's reasonable. Because what I have found, even in losing weight, if the goal that you set is too difficult for you to achieve, then you will stop doing it. The person that can't even walk to the kitchen without getting out of breath probably don't, doesn't want to say, I'm going to start running in January and I'm going to run 30 miles a week. Yeah, I don't think that's going to work for you. Trust me on this one. You know, why don't you start walking to the mailbox and back? You know, and no, seriously, and do that for two weeks until you're not out of breath anymore and then walk, you know, three doors down to the neighbor. And don't be asking if they got any Dunkin' Donuts or anything or the walk back, you know. But it's like do it in bite sizes that you can, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You've got to do it in a way that's manageable. So for a person that's not giving anything now, giving 2% is going to be a major step in faith for you. And I understand that, and I'm not even concerned about the percentage. All I'm saying is you need to take some action that you can recognize. If it's 5% or 10% or 15%, that's not the point. The point is that we need to consistently honor the Lord first to continually remind us of the blessings that God gives us. Be consistent and be cheerful. Man, there's nothing worse than watching somebody trying to lose weight with the biggest frown on their face and moaning and groaning and hating every minute of it. You know what? When you see results, it's the greatest thing in the world. When you see that God honors his word and when we honor him first and you can see blessings that aren't just, oh, I'm going to give him $5 and he's going to give me $25. What a great program this is. But you know what? I'm going to give him and honor him and whatever blessings he gives me in return, I'm going to recognize and see that it all comes from the hand of God. What a great way to begin to get control over our finances. So anyway, honoring the Lord first keeps everything else I'm about to share with you in perspective. Number two is this. You want to get control over your finances? Stay out of debt! Anybody miss that one? Stay out of debt. I don't know how to emphasize this truth enough. Debt destroys marriages. Debt destroys families. Debt destroys friendships. Debt destroys businesses. Debt destroys nations. Stay out of debt. Now, that should make everybody feel real guilty right about now. Some of us, maybe not. Very few things will destroy your life and the quality of life quicker than debt. It'll drain you emotionally. It'll drain you physically. It'll destroy you spiritually. It is a destroyer of people. Debt. We've got a couple of guys. And the reason I'm going to share this with you is because here are two people that... Both love the Lord, that are involved in their churches and different churches. They don't go to this church, although I'm sure that this profile will fit some of you. But my partner and I did business with them. And uh, we did some work for them. And at the end of the job, we were supposed to be paid. Two men, totally different directions as far as geographic areas. We did work for them. Both of them 
the same thing happened. Uh, we don't have the money to pay you. I don't have the money to pay you. Well, wait a minute now. You knew what we were supposed to do, and we did it. You told us to do it, and we did it. You're not complaining about what we did. We did it. But the problem is now you don't want to pay. Why? Oh, man. And then the reasons start coming. Greatest intentions in the world. Every one of them. Sincere, greatest intentions. Oh, uh, well, you know what? When, when we built those houses, I was going to use the proceeds from this house to pay that and to pay these bills to do this thing. And then if that didn't work out, I could take a line of equity out on the house that we live in because I, you know, I knew that we'd be able to pay the debt. That's the only reason I told you to go ahead and do it. Oh, okay. Well, then you should be able to pay us then. Well, geez, you know, things just didn't work out like I thought they were going to work out. Oh, this is interesting. And so the quality of their lives began to deteriorate rather quickly. Notices were being sent to their personal residences. Liens were being placed on their property. The guys were hiding it from their wives, didn't want them to know what was going on and all the tr financial trouble that they were in. And it just started to snowball. All of a sudden, their wives, two different men, two different areas, same story. Their wives started to find out about it. They were hiding stuff from them. There was resentment that was built up. They didn't trust their husbands anymore because of all the stuff that was going on. All of a sudden, the husbands started to become angry with the wives because, you know what, I mean, you would think that you'd be more supportive, that you'd be more considerate, that you'd be more understanding of our financial problems, you know, what a difficult business climate we're in, and all these things, and here you are, and you're just as bad as everybody else. And man, it started to happen. And the fighting started to go on. And all of a sudden, divorce talks are starting to come up. And all of a sudden, one of the guys I even talked to, him, man, this guy was so depressed that I wouldn't doubt if suicide wasn't very far away. And he lost not only these houses that he built, he had built five spec houses, he sold a couple, but he couldn't sell the rest of them, couldn't even rent them out. And all of a sudden, man, the sure thing wasn't a sure anymore. Well, that's all right, because I got all this equity in my house, and if I have to, we'll sell our primary residence and go ahead and pay off all our bills. Okay, well, why don't you do that? Well, I went and met with the real estate agent, and our house is worth $550,000, and we know they said if you list it for $450,000, you'll be able to sell it like that, and he listed it for $450,000, and a year later, now it's down to $350,000, and he still can't sell it, and he can't get out of debt. And their life's totally messed up, and everything's snowballed, and it's all screwed up, and they can't figure out why. Life is destroyed by all of it. And we've continually had conversations through all of it because even though they robbed us, we still f feel that both of them are friends to some degree. And we've had great conversations over the last year and a half as God has taken them through this whole process and what were the lessons that they were learning and what, were they, what was God teaching them through all of it. And it all goes back to what we talked about. You know what? Don't put your, your hope in finances because finances are very insecure. But put your hope and your trust in God who will never let you down. Don't look to get rich and all those principles that God says are so true, all of a sudden they become very real to a person that's going through all that. And man, I'll tell you what, you know what, I mean, what can you learn through all of it? See, and that's the important thing and the critical thing is, you know what, it's like we're not looking to slam them. They have an obligation, but what can we learn from an example like that because it's not that uncommon. And what we need to understand are a couple of things. Romans 13:8 says, Oh, nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Proverbs 22, 7, a verse that is very impacting. If you don't leave here with anything but this one truth, the rich rolls over the poor and the borrower becomes a slave to the lender. The rich rolls over the poor and a borrower becomes slave to the lender. What an impacting truth. <clears throat> Debt destroys lives.
Now, some of you are thinking, well, does that mean we can't ever buy anything? I mean, that requires like monthly payments. Does it mean that we have to save and, and buy everything with cash? Well, what about a car and what about a house? I mean, there's no way we can save cash to do stuff like that. And those are good questions. Those, those are reasonable questions. The question comes back to what is debt? Let me give you two definitions. Definition number one, debt. Money that's owed with payments due and you're unable to make your payments. That's pretty simple. Money that you owe, the payment is due, and you can't make the payment. Whether it's a written contract, whether it's a verbal contract, whatever it is, if you owe someone money and that payment is due and you cannot meet that payment, then you are in debt. You are then enslaved to the lender. And the quality of your life will de deteriorate very quickly because the quality of a slave's life was never that great. We look back on the people that owe us money and you ask the questions, hey, you know what? What was our agreement? When you completed the work, we pay you 100%. Great. Did we complete the work? Yes. Then will you pay us? Well, no. Why not? We don't have the money. Guess what? You're in debt. You owe us. And it was based on what you said you would do. You owe us. And there's no other way you can get around it. There's no way you can get out of it. And the problem that we have, it wasn't, we'll pay you if we sell the houses. We'll pay you if my, my personal residence is sold. We'll pay you if my ship comes in. We'll pay you when something else happens. It's not any of that. It's, you'll pay us when we're finished. And that's as simple as it gets. It doesn't get any cleaner than that. And if you cannot pay that, then you're in debt. Oh, but that's okay. I'll pay you, and, and we'll pay you guys, and we'll pay you with interest. Wait a minute. We never agreed to be your bank. We never agreed to finance your project. We agreed that we'd do the work and then you'd pay us. That was our agreement. And that wasn't whatever you've come up with in your mind to make you feel better doesn't change the fact you are still in debt. Psalm 37:21 says, The wicked or evil person borrows and does not repay. It's as simple as it gets. I'll give you an illustration. You say, Man, but well, how do you resolve that? <clears throat> we had a guy, it was interesting, it was a guy that, plays, that played professional football, he was making a tremendous amount of money, but he made it for like two years. <laughs> and then I was like, no one wanted him anymore, and so he wasn't making any more money. It's amazing how that works. If you don't work, you don't get paid. It's a funny concept. Um, but he had a car. Give me an example. And, and he had a whole bunch of money at one point, but he had gone out and he bought a you know, $50,000 sports car, and he put $20,000 down, so only he financed 30000 of it. And uh, so that was great. And meanwhile, you know, I was paying six, seven hundred dollars a month in payments. And he came to me and his whole life was messed up. And he was in debt. And the quality of his life was terrible. I mean, he was depressed all the time. And he came and said, how, how, how do I get out of this? How do I work? My, I mean, what do I do? So well, let's go down through. So we listed all his debts and we went through all the stuff. And I said, well, wait a minute. Now, here's, here's one right here. You owe thirty thousand dollars on this car. Go out and sell your car. Oh! Pulled his heart right out from him and stepped all over it. Oh! He looked at me like I was crazy. So, what do you mean sell my car? So, well, wait a minute. Look, sell your car. Look how much it's costing you from a cash flow standpoint to own this car. Look at your payment. Look at your insurance. Look at everything that goes with it. Look at the maintenance. I mean, you got people coming out and they wait on you in a tuxedo. I mean, they bring you espresso. It's going to cost you something to get your oil changed, like $400. I mean, <laughs> you know sell your car and when you sell your car take the proceeds pay off the loan but you know how much money i'm going to lose when i drive out of here? i mean when i, when I sell my car I said yeah i got a good feeling you're going to lose some money 
but you know how much money you still owe and you can't meet your payments. What other option do you have? It's like, man. So finally, after wrestling with it for a couple more months, he puts a car for sale, he sells his car. And he gets the money, he pays off the loan, he takes care of that, and he only has like $10,000 left over or something. And now it's like, then he needs another car. Well, guess what? Go buy a used car. Get a nice used car for $10,000, pay cash for it, and you don't have any debt. You know, and he looked at me like some of you look at me. Well, what's your, and it's like, hey, well, what's your idea? Because yours have been working so well up to this point. What do you think? And he did it. And he got a nice used car, paid cash for it. And you know what? When he started to recognize that God's principles were true, and he started to apply them, it transformed his life. That's an amazing thing. Stay out of debt. If you can't make your payments, you're in debt. And you need to do what you can to get out as quickly as you can. Now, the second definition is this. When the amount that you owe, the liability, is greater than the asset. That's called being upside down. It's called debt. And the quickest way to get into debt is to buy depreciating items on credit. Let's stop here. Because I want to talk next time, and we'll look at the rest of these fundamentals, but here's the truth here, and that is be prepared next time when you come next week to be open-minded to think about how much trouble we get into and how many conflicts we have had in our marriages because of the use of credit. And it'll be fascinating the insight that God can give you to free you up from all of that. So if we don't learn anything but this one truth or these two truths this week, hey, honor the Lord first. And you know what? The best way to do this, hey, th- th- I think there's envelopes out in the courtyard. I've seen them. We've picked one up. The best thing to do, you know, the, the, like this church, and I'm sure other churches do too, give you a packet. They have dates on it. And you can just pull it off. Next Sunday, January 7th, pull it off and use it. Honor the Lord first and do it systematically and consistently. Do it cheerfully and do it with the ex- expectation that, Lord, you know what? I'm going to try this. I've never done it before, but you know what? The way we've been handling our finances isn't working, so maybe you have something to offer. And the second thing is, and we'll discuss it more in depth, is, you know what? You need to stay out of debt. And God gives some great insight as, as to how that can happen. Let's close in prayer. Father, thanks for this time to be together. Thank you for the truth that you've given us. Uh, remind each one of us that you own it all. And that we're not giving back to you as some way, like some long-term payment program to, you know, get into heaven. But we're giving to you because you own it all and because you instruct us to honor you from the first that all we produce. And because, frankly, we benefit from it. There's some tremendous blessings that come with honoring you and putting you first in our life in so many areas. And, uh, God, I just pray that we will just take that one step of faith as we move forward into a new year that we will commit to honoring you first and that we'll also make a commitment to stay out of debt and that we'll be open to listen to your principles and begin to apply them in our life. And as uh, things change and as we are transformed and as our marriages are healed and as our lives are healed, we just want to praise you and thank you for what you do for us in Christ's name. Amen.